0: Through Conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It
1: was such a pleasure to be in conversation with Maria Cristina Jimenez. Maria Cristina is an occupational therapist and a certified advanced rolfer. She's been a yoga teacher since 2001, a rolfer since 2012, and a certified advanced rolfer since 2016. From 2021, she became a registered and licensed OT specializing in hand therapy. After surviving a horrific car accident and near-death experience, at 15, she developed PTSD. Consequently, she spent her entire life healing her body and helping to heal others. She brings decades of deep somatic studies as well as insights from living with PTSD. Maria Cristina holds a BA in theater and a minor in women's studies from Holy Cross in Worcester. She holds an MFA from the New School in Manhattan. Her second master's is in occupational therapy from USC. She's also a Fulbright scholar who researched murder of women by men motivated by sexism in Costa Rica. Originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico, she resides now in Los Angeles. Today's conversation is a deep dive all about Maria Cristina's life history and what has brought her through to all the work she is now offering, which is indeed a rich talk. So with that, let's begin. Hi,
2: Andrew. Howdy. Sorry, I'm a little late. So
3: sometimes yeah. I couldn't hear Nikki and I didn't know if it was my computer or but I think it's all good.
2: Do you hear me okay?
3: I hear you so well. It's like so you're That's right. all
2: that matters. That's all that matters. Don't worry about <laughs> Nikki. Should <laughs> you prefer Maria Cristina?
3: Yeah. Um yeah, my name is Maria Cristina and, and in Puerto Rico double names are very common. It's kind of like Same. in the south, you know, like Rosemary or Mary Louise, like it's just how it is. Yeah.
2: So yeah, here we are uh, after all this time. Yeah. And so uh, I know Nikki has a lot of great topics for you, and she's spoken nothing but wonderful stuff about you. Oh. So you better you better live up to it all. Oh no pressure.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess uh, my origin story, if you will, because we all we all have it. Um, if I were to trace it back. Um, You know, it goes it goes probably to that car accident um, near death experience that I had when I was 15. But, you know, it's funny. One of my doctors told me later, don't tell people you had a car accident because they won't understand it. They'll think, oh, yeah, a car accident. He says, tell them you fell out of a building that had eight stories high. And that's how they'll know Um, it was. It, you know, it's one of those things when we look back on our lives, there's a before and an after usually, and that was my before and after. Uh, and, and it just, it's, it's, it's almost hard to talk about, but I've been able to, to talk about it now without getting um, fight or flight about it. Cause I used to get really nervous when I talked about my trauma and I didn't realize I was um, re-traumatizing myself and slowly, because this happened a long time ago in 1988 when I was 15 years old, and slowly I learned that I could, I could find different ways of talking about it, because when I would talk about it, it was almost like I was an actress with a script, and I had the same pauses in the same places, and I would wait for a reaction, because people would always sound shocked when I told them I fractured my sacrum in four places, and then I would wait, and there was a pause, and then I would continue. Um, so even in talking about it, it became healing for me because I realized I could like a director or a writer, I could focus on different areas of the story. And in doing so, I could heal myself and not re-traumatize. So as I share it with you, it was, you know, think of when you were 15 and, you know, it's just very innocent. And I was, um, on my way to a party and I rarely went out and I was kind of a A book nerd and an athlete, um, the best runner in my school. And then, um, you know, um, it just happened that I decided to stay in the car and and go with the people who were driving. And the next thing I knew, I was um, in a hospital and I had come in with no pulse. And there was a priest that had been called to give me the last rites. So it was just from one moment to the next, my whole world changed. And um, many, many parts of the body were fractured and including the sacrum, the pubis, uh, the ilium, the left humerus. Um, I was told, oh, you lost a kidney. I didn't really know what a kidney was. <laughs> At that time, I was like, oh my God, I was told I would not be able to have children. Um, and then they were like, no, we you might have them, but it's going to be really hard for you. So it was just like constant trauma. And sometimes when I hear or read books about trauma, they describe motor vehicle accidents as not complex. And I always get a little um, miffed by that because I think it depends on how it was. And for me, it was very complex and it was ongoing and there was a long hospital stay and I had to learn how to walk. And there were other, other emotional things that happened with family and friends that in some ways were harder than the accident. Um, and then at that time, PTSD was not talked about as as it is now. So, um, you know, there was a therapist who came to see me and like 15 minutes later, he was like, Oh, she's fine. <laughs> she's great. You know, and my parents who I, who I worship, they, they would tell me, you know, try to smile more <laughs> so that the family doesn't get worried. So I started to cover up, you know, my pain and because um, I was, in a way, taking care of my parents who were so worried about me. Um, and I I just, you know, it was from one moment to the next, everything changed. And then, you know, there was this near-death experience, which I had, which was very spiritual. I kind of had this moment where I felt a voice <laughs> saying to myself, accept it. It's going to be okay. and. I mean I'm I'm telling you this in like 5 minutes but it's it's like the most important thing that has happened and out of that experience two things emerged. I somewhere along the line I realized I would spend the rest of my life healing my body and I would spend the rest of my life helping to heal and educate and help other people. And and that's that's how it's been and I always go back to that moment, which is a wellspring of continuous wisdom and knowledge and healing. So I'm just going to pause because I feel like I've been talking for a while, but I'm happy to explain more.
0: (laughs) No, I think that, um, I think you touch on something that's really interesting and worth talking maybe a little bit about how sometimes people who are the victim, the person who became injured or whatever, whatever that onslaught was, is the how then they also when they are then the most vulnerable and need to be cared for, then often they end up caring for the other because of it's just kind of crazy how the body can act that way or the mind. You don't you're already in this such vulnerable state, but then how dare you be a burden on somebody else in. Start having to figure out how to help other people navigate your own injury. Yes, and that's um, a lot to carry.
3: It was a lot, and i I didn't realize then because you're going through it and you're just trying to get by. But when I look back on that 15 year old, I didn't cry. I mean, I it just people cry when they like like cut their finger with a paper cut. Like I had spinal fractures, I had a metal inserted through my right femur, held in attraction for 50 days. I had a lot happening. And I just was like, I held it together for for my family. And I think in some ways I grew up in a very patriarchal environment in Puerto Rico. And I and I saw that happen to men. I saw that happen to to the men in my life, being told don't cry, you're a man you know, hold it in. But with women, I didn't see that in that way, but I saw it in a different way, which was just be sweet. And, you know, we're all so worried about you if you could smile more. So that's kind of how it was shaped. And and I did it because I think, you know, one of our basic needs is to be loved and to be taken care of. And again, my parents were so heartbroken and my family. So I thought, I can do this for you, and my goodness, it has haunted me ever since because the smile became a mask for me. You know, like um, like we have our patterns in the way our body moves, our um, the way we've adapted and compensated. And I think the gesture of a smile, in some ways, has been like a tight fascial adhesion, (laughs) like a scar tissue, in some ways. You know, so throughout the years after that, it was about um, rediscovering that like, like a palimpsest, which is, um, an ancient manuscript in the old days, you didn't have paper, you had parchment or a tablet. So people would write on the same tool and then they would rewrite on it over and over and over and over. So my life has been about unearthing the palimpsest, right? Seeing what, what, um, what is, what else is there? Because I had covered it up and things were covered up But I also want to add that I feel very privileged about being able to talk about my trauma because a lot of people cannot talk about theirs because it's taboo what happened to them, because they're protecting family members, because they don't want to talk about sexual abuse or rape. And I've always felt that I could talk about my trauma with anyone. And I always got nothing but support from my audience, if I can use that term. And I realized recently what a privilege it is to be able to talk about your trauma because many friends of mine who are rolfers, who are structural integrators, their origin story comes from cruelty and abuse, but they can't talk about it. They feel that they can't, right? Some of them will, but some of them can't and don't want to. And it's a real privilege to be able to say, this happened to me. Like I have lots of scars in my body and in a way I'm proud of them because it's like this is here. This happened to me. X marks the spot. I am here. Look at it. You know.
2: Totally. I am. I, um, I don't know if I've talked about this in the show before, but I, as a child, had severe anxiety and depression, and was suicidal. And I, I used that. You know, I remember my mom being like, "Don't, don't talk about that." And I was like, "No," but that low point got me to who I am. Or like when I would work with people who would have uh, cuts on their arm. Just be like, recognize it, be like, no, that's beautiful. Like, clearly, like, not be like, hey, look at that, you know, but, but like, find a way for them to, to recognize and be like, no, no, that that's something you always have with you that, you know, you can look at it different ways, but that's something you went through to get where you are. So, I mean, I, I feel you, at least how I'm hearing it, I feel you like all that we have is from what we are. And we can, we can spin that. We can, we can stay in that, like, oh, how traumatic and all that bad stuff. And I had to do this. And and of course the the patriarchal, the patriarchal oppression and this, you know, so I, I feel you. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm glad that you went through it because <laughs> <'cause> that could, <laughs> um, but no, I mean hearing you speak is, uh, is amazing. And, and the way that that from what you've you've been through and, and and where you've taken it and i'll echo as well like you know i've been in some trainings whether it's rolfing trainings or other embodied things where it's like people want to help people but they don't want to talk about themselves and they don't want to work on them and i'm all like hey here's my shit let's all like <laughs> let's go and let's talk and that's you know we're all at different points it's not like my view is the best way by any means but for sure that if we're going to be in this work and help people unearth stuff we also got a lot of unpacking to do
3: yeah absolutely
0: yeah yeah and I I agree with that and I think it's important and um to acknowledge how I really appreciate how you said that you feel privileged to talk about your trauma and life events that aren't all that favorable because it is true that some people either taboo or just still so heavy or for whatever the reason it is, whatever that person defines as not worthy to be seen or, or people shouldn't hear it. People hold in their, their stuff and it takes a lot of courage in the right environment to feel safe I mean, a lot of, I think what we talk about in rolfing is, yeah, maybe we're moving tissue or whatever we're doing, but ultimately we're, we're creating a safe container for the person to show up and to do what they need to do to find better orientation, you know, posture or function or being able to, to move. So, um, I was, could you speak to a little bit? So here you had this very, um, horrific car accident at age 15. And then, you know, and, and I, you, you've done yoga for a very long time. So maybe that had a, a part in kind of playing into now feeling yourself, feeling your body as you're healing and what that experience is, because I would love for for I would love to hear it, and also for our audience, to be able to kind of use your story as kind of a mapping of, here's a big life event traumatic thing that clearly altered the way you're you're moving through life. Now you have to find a new way of being. And then, then now being a professional as a role for in an OT and just, I think it would be really cool for just kind of coming from an experience and then not being professional about it, not being a professional yet. And then how that looked for you and how you embodied and then your reflections now that you have the expertise.
3: Yeah, I, um, look back on my life and it's, it's not linear. And then I remember the body is not linear. There's no bone in the body. That's a straight line. Even the tibia is such a straight bone, but it's not straight. So, um, cause when I'm going through my life, when I was going through my life, it's like, what am I doing? I'm going from here to there. And then I calm myself down like, oh yeah, the, the path is a spiral. It's not a straight line. Um, but, uh, I remember my grandmother had taught me yoga when I was young. And then I, I, I was more into running and being an athlete, which ironically saved my life. Like the doctor who saved my life said to my parents, she has a big heart. Is she an athlete? And they were like, yeah, she's a runner. And he was like, that, that helped her because I had lost 75% of my blood. Um, so when, after the, the accident, I, loved poetry and theater, and I thought I was gonna move into that. And then I went to college and I majored in theater and women's studies, which 30 years ago was not a thing. (laughs) And then I won a Fulbright grant and I researched murder of women by men um in Central America and I lived there for 2 years studying murdered bodies and I mention all this because when I look back on my life it's always been about the body I just didn't realize it I was following something a song uh, an inner calling and I did I knew I had to follow it it didn't make sense to my prefrontal lobe But um, when I look back, it's always been about the body, using the body as a as an actress, as a writer, studying murdered women. Um, I went to New York. I lived there for five years and I got my first master's and MFA. And then I rediscovered yoga and taking those first yoga classes um, in studios in Manhattan. I remember walking away from class feeling less lonely and be- being very intrigued by that. Like, why am I less lonely after a class? <laughs> what happened? Um, and I did a 500-hour training in 2001. And because I was so intrigued by how my body felt afterwards, it felt like pain was leaving me. And um I was less lonely. And around that time, I met this person named Marcelo. This was years ago, 2000 maybe. And he was starting to be a rofer. And he was like, hey, can I try the 10 series with you? And I was like, sure. You know, just I'm very open and kind of innocent in many ways. And that was my first rolfering experience in Manhattan, um, doing the 10 series with Marcelo. And I remember thinking... I didn't think rolfing was painful, but I remember thinking I had a lot of pain in my body that was unacknowledged and unrecognized. So my insights were, oh, I didn't realize I was so lonely. I didn't realize I had so much pain. Um, And then I started to teach yoga in 2001 and help people. And um, Around that time, um, as you all know, 9-11 happened. And I mention it because 9-11, I think, really shaped me as a yoga teacher because I was teaching yoga at that time. I mean, not that particular day, but that week. And I learned that my job was not to save people or, you know, take take away their pain because it was overwhelming what had happened. My job was to show up, be the safest person in the room create a space where people could move, could sense their bodies, could maybe rest and, you know, just give them space um, and be the safest person in the room. So that would really mark me as a a yoga teacher. And then I moved to LA. I had friends who lived here and I've always, I come from Puerto Rico, which to me felt a little bit like a small town in many ways. So I wanted the big cities. I moved to LA and then I just let go of the acting and I became a full-time yoga teacher And I fell in love with a style called Anusara, which had a lot of um, great biomechanical principles and based on a philosophy that saw being embodied as a gift and not a burden. By the way, stop me at any moment because I just can keep going with my... No,
0: this is great. I mean, (laughs) our audience wants to hear our guests
3: okay okay <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, so I um, became very immersed in the world of anusara yoga which um oh golly it was a world filled with a lot of light and shadow and um, years later i'm I'm kind of jumping a little bit but years later i I left that um, that style and walked away from it when when abuses and scandals emerged and my ex-teacher was um, very abusive to me um, emotionally, Uh, but that's another layer of the story. So yeah, I was teaching yoga. I started to um, study a lot about the body. And I think back on those years very fondly because I kind of just dove into somatic studies. And I started to study with Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, um, body-mind centering, um, and just fell in love with her. I started to go to Gil Headley's um, dissections. (laughs) I mean, he is just like, it's a remarkable thing if you get to experience him and and dissections with him and and the community that forms. I got to study with Dr. Fritz Smith, who was trained by Dr. Rolf, and he founded Zero Balancing, which is a lovely healing modality. Um, I started to study cranial sacral therapy, It was just a time of a lot of hunger. Um, In Spanish, we say inquietud, like an inquietude, like a restlessness. I was just very hungry and restless and um, very hungry. Was this before you started your rolfing training? When you Yeah, this was exactly right. This was that time of deep hunger where I really loved teaching yoga, but I also... Knew it was not sustainable for me. I was not being able to really make a living, and when I was making a living, I was driving around LA, which, if you're familiar with, it's a lot of traffic, and you're driving around to teach privates. So I started to get worried about my my life and my my financial future. And yoga teaching is is very hard. It's very hard in many ways. Um, so, and I also started to deep in my love for the body and studying with these amazing teachers. So I was like, Ooh, I wonder, I wonder where I'm going to go next. And around those years of studying with Bonnie and Gil and Fritz and cranial sacral, I started to get Rolfed again in LA. And I worked with Mary Bond, who's one of my mentors. And there was this other Rolfer who used to live here named Lynn Cohen, who is just amazing and brilliant. And she's studied at the Rolfing Institute, but also at the Guild. So she has those two experiences. And she she said something about my body that no one had ever noticed before. Um, for context, I have scars in my body and one of them is very long and it's kind of longitudinal. And it goes from the bottom of my sternum, from my cyphoid process, it travels down and then it takes a curve around the navel and it goes straight down to my pubis. I once asked my doctor, who's a friend of mine, why did you Why did you cut me that way? And he was like, well, I was trying to save your life. And the navel is an area of infection. So I wanted to go around it. Um, so what a great privilege to be able to talk to the doctor who, who saved you. Um, so Lynn looked at me and looked at my spine and at my scar. And she made this observation. And she said, do you realize your spine has... Taken the shape of your scar, um, and I could cry right now. Just, just I don't know. That's it's so moving to me how she saw me, you know, and how my body had accommodated to an overwhelming life event, and you know, it just it couldn't go anywhere. So then the spine had to give, right? So my spine took the shape of the scar. It's just what a beautiful thing how the body accommodates. So she made that observation and. I thought to myself, my goodness, these rolfers are really brilliant people. And I was studying with Gail Headley, who, as we all know, was trained as a rolfer. And I thought, this is something I want to do. And this is also important. In 2012, the style of yoga that I was very enmeshed with imploded. It it imploded. So I think that gave me the the push to go to rolfing school in 2012.
2: Yeah, Anusara really did implode around then. The first time I really heard of Rolfing was during an Zara training. My, my teacher was like, "You need to get Rolfed." And I didn't really know what it was. but I, I always said in my mind, I know that John Friend really took from a lot of places, but I always kind of felt like he must have been taking something from something within the Rolf world because they're not similar, they're not like brothers or sisters, but there is something of a similarity within that and I would, I would i could totally see coming from a an Aniyasara background moving into rolfing would be like such an easy slide in yeah
3: yeah yeah the the biomechanical um alignment points were what drew me to it and and i realized i had a, a love a deep love for anatomy and like i said i i was studying with incredible teachers who expanded my point of view. Um, And that said, Anustara was also in some ways incredibly um, strict. And, you know, these are the principles and they work on everyone. And later, you know, you start to question things about it. But I really believe, and I know many of my fellow yogis, Maybe they do not. But I I feel like I was a little bit in a cult or, or in something that was similar to that, which is an incredible thing to admit and to admit to oneself, because I never thought I would be that person. Um, and it has given me a lot of compassion for people who who fall into those um. Into those events, um, because no one goes there willingly. You, you, you go for family. You go for community. You go for healing. You, you go for light and knowledge. Um, and then things start to change. But um, yeah, I, I certainly met wonderful teachers in that community, and many of my friends are from that world still. Um, but I, I think in some ways, it had to implode for me to um, forgive the sounds of LA, (laughs) um, it had to implode for me to break free of it. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that in 2012, when the style of yoga that I was practicing imploded, I was able to say, okay, I'm going to go to Boulder, Colorado and become a roller." Um, yeah. So yeah,
2: but I just want to highlight the fact that this is the second time we've had the first time we had sound effects was when you were talking about your story. And you're like, I'm not alone. And then someone honked a horn in the background. And then you talk about imploding and then there's a car accident or something going on outside. The, the, the universe could not be more aligned with you today.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Golly, yes. And then um, let's see um, the the real thing, um, which is where I, I met Nikki in my phase one training. Um, Lovely Nikki and uh, Meg Moore, who was wonderful, Michael Pollan and Adam Menzel. And I remember that first week, you know, I heard, I always say, I heard them say, because if I say, um, this is what she said, my memory is always changing things, but I heard Meg say something like, we are not healers, we are educators. And I was, I teared up as I often do whenever I hear something that I know it's life changing. And I thought that was such a, a gift because I've so identified with being a healer and with taking care of other people. And I feel I had done that during my accident. And I feel I was raised with that because there's addiction in my family. So, you know, you kind of take a role of codependent and people pleaser and taking care of others. And when I heard that on that first week, I felt like free in a way like, oh yeah, it's not my job to save other people. Uh, family, friends, clients. My job is to to offer, to educate, uh, to offer possibilities, um, and to be to embody safety for others, so that their healer, which is in them, can can come out. Um. Yeah. So I so- love how you just shared all
0: that, especially coming from what you shared about your your accident, how you quickly had to feel like you needed to take care of others and how this has become a full circle for you, where you've gotten the permission, um, to be like, no, it's not my job and get to step into yes. As Rolfers, I've, I've also felt very identified with that as being more of an educator than a healer. I mean, I've never, I think that's, that just—I don't know—being that feels very pompous to me to be like, "Oh, I can heal." <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, that, what a what a great thing for you because for me, and I don't know how much of it is cultural. Um, for me, I was raised um, very much with the feminine is is the healer, the nurturer. It's it's really in my blood, and it's it. I mean, I still feel a little sad that I let go of that archetype because I, I so identified with it. Um, so I'm glad that you, you don't have that, um, um, connection with it in that way, because I think it's easier. Maybe I could be wrong, but I think it's easier for you to, to just really focus on the work. Whereas I still struggle with it. And if I had to say, what is my, um, what is my biggest obstacle as a role for it, is that sometimes it's so easy for me to fall into that, place and really want to talk to people and listen to them. And then I have to be like, wait, (laughs) I'm not a therapist. That's not in my scope of practice. Let's go to the table. Let's do this work.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're probing me to kind of think of why. And I think for me, I have found my healing through education. And I, and I think it's, and I appreciate your story about how you're studying with this person and studying this person and how it can sometimes can look like from an outsider point of view of like, oh, this person's all over the place. But really when you're working with the body, you have to know so much because the body is so beautifully complex that it's, it's to have this huge tool bag of all these different types of modalities to foster, to foster healing, to foster healing. Like I, again, yeah, as a role for, and I think with a lot of type of, um, embodied practices, our job is really to hold space. So the person can be their own healer and orient to health with our, with our little safety net that we create of that this is a safe space to do whatever you need to do. The body does what it needs to do to orient to health.
3: But um, you raised an important point, which um, when when I heard you say, you know, sometimes we're all over the place and I really um, appreciate that because I feel like, well, my my life is my life. And I, I'm so glad I went through all that. But I, I think in some ways I was. And when I um graduated from, from Rolfing, I mentored with several Rolfers. And I still do n- now and then. And, and I named them it, to honor them, um, Mary Bond and Jan Sultan and Benjamin Shields, Harvey Rudarian, Bruce Schoenfeld, and wonderful people. Um, and I remember one time with with Mary Bond she I had gone to her house and had done mentoring with her and then she said something like where are you going I said oh yeah I'm gonna study with Bonnie I'm doing and she I I should say I heard her say you're always studying and I I, she's 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 a sweetheart I, I just but I heard judgment in in that and I went home and I um I studied her statement. <laughs> like I literally studied her statement and I wrote it on my diary and I thought about it and I meditated. I mean, I studied it and I was like, I am always studying. And you know, at first I was like, well, good for me. I'm learning. Yay. And it took me years to realize, oh my gosh, she's she's right. And what how I reconciled it is I was so hungry um, for knowledge. I was also insecure and being a student is is part of my identity and will always be but I'm done with being an apprentice I am and I, I paradoxically it happened after I graduated from graduate school recently and I was like you know what I'm done like it's time to step into the role of the expert and again I will always be a student it's who I am I'm study I love to read I love to learn I think we all do but there was something about and I think Mary, saw that there was like I I equated to eating it was like I was eating so much I wasn't letting it digest I wasn't absorbing it I wasn't eliminating it I was eating and eating and eating and I kind of fell in that trap of oh I'm gonna study this but then I have to study that oh visceral oh cranial oh nerve work and I find myself now at 48 a little tired and, you know, I'm like, okay. I mean, and I see on the Facebook groups, oh my God, we just did this training with this person. It was so great. And I feel a little bit like, oh, but I'm okay. I mean, I have so much to learn from my clients, from digesting all of this material from, I always go through my notebooks and rereading them. So I appreciate that.
0: Oh, I thought that, that's so cool. I like that story. And yes, I mean, I mean, I can relate to, because I, I, I definitely find myself having training envy of like, <laughs> oh, I wanted to do that class. Oh, maybe I want to study that too. So, um, I think having kids just kind of like sat my ass down and was like, nope, you, you're gonna, you're gonna sit in your expertise with what you got now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you and I've jokingly, we've kind of talked about this, um, through social media and just our little chats that we have of talking about envy that. So now you, so you had your life experience that taught you a lot from when your event at 15 yoga, all your fun dabbles, then rolfing and then you land in, occupational therapy school. I
3: know. Yes. Yeah,
0: so uh, I secretly <laughs> wish I wish I could go to do that.
3: <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. And, and Nikki mentioned like in Spanish, we say Santa Envidia, which means saintly envy. It's it's like a sweet envy. And I know we normally don't identify envy with sweetness, but there is a sweet envy where, you know, I look at Nikki and I'm like, oh, I sweetly envy her life and her two children and her two dogs and her husband. And I'm single, and I have a beautiful 23-year-old diabetic cat who's amazing. Um, <laughs> and I look at Nikki's life, and I have a Santa NVIDIA, and she looks at mine, and maybe she has a little Santa Invidia. I do. I do.
0: I definitely do. When when I saw you, well, first of all, just again, side note, of I appreciate your story that you shared about you know, constantly being a student, but whenever I've saw your comments on Facebook, I think there is a lot to say to your deep dive into education because you have so much to share that is worth being heard. And, um, I just always look forward to reading your posts. And, and like I said, like when I was reading your newsletter, I was like, Oh God, that's, that seems like an important thing, but I got to look up that one word. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, when you, when you just following your journey into occupational therapy school, because honestly, and I think I've shared this in other, um, other episodes, but I went to Rolfing as just kind of my filler because I thought eventually I would go to occupational therapy school, but I just kind of got, comfortable with you know with rolfing and also the side dabbles that you can get into with the visceral cranial all that other fun stuff that i was like oh well this is kind of like occupational therapy school but um yeah so i would love to hear like what why why take that um integration from rolfing now into ot
3: yeah absolutely i um was working as a yoga teacher. And then I started my roofing business, um, 2013. And I was also teaching anatomy workshops for yoga teachers and students and continuing to learn. And there was still this inquietude, this restlessness. And I started um, volunteering as a compassionate touch um, therapist Um, is an organization. That was started by a Rofer. Um, and I would go to people's homes um, under hospice care and give them compassionate touch. And I just was like there's there's more. For me, it's my favorite word is and. For me, there's always more. And I was like, I love what I'm doing, and there's more. And I was also worried to be really frank, um, how do I say this? Running my own business was hard for me. I'm very soft-hearted and people, for some reason, um, when I would tell them how much I charged, um, they would ask for discounts. And I don't know if it's my personality. I don't know if it's being a woman. I don't know if it's, I don't know, uh, being Puerto Rican. I don't know if this is coming with white men. I don't know. But from the moment I started working, People have always asked me for discounts, and I always felt like I didn't have a choice. And I always would give them discounts. And I started to realize, I don't know if I can sustain myself. Um, And LA is so expensive. And I don't know. That was going on through my mind. And around this time, my island had suffered from the worst hurricane, Hurricane Maria. And I was seeing family and friends suffer. And I, I'm so far away from my family, so I was thinking, is there a job that I can do anywhere that pays well? Like, that was all in my mind. And also, um, someone who I deeply admired, Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, was an OT. (laughs) I didn't know about OT, I knew about PT because I had gotten PT after my accident, but not OT, I don't know why. So I didn't know about OT until my 30s when I started studying with Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen and I was like, who is this woman? She's so brilliant. What's her background? And I read her book and occupational therapist and she worked with children. And I said, what is this thing? Um, And started learning about it. And I also had, you know, I taught yoga for 20 years. So I had many students and one of them was an OT. And so I would ask her questions. And I was in this journey of, there's gonna be something else. I wasn't sure if it was gonna be anthropology. I looked at that too, forensic anthropology. And then OT seemed like what I was already doing, which was helping people get back to what they wanna do, what they need to do, what they have to do. And I thought, you know what, this is it. And it was so scary because I had to take every prerequisite. I had no science in my background. So I had to go back to school to take classes so that then I could apply. So it was it was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. And going back to school in your late 40s, you're older than the students and the teacher in the room. I mean, I was like, I'm Rodney Dangerfield in back to school. If anyone knows, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I, mean, that's I was Rodney. Oh my god, I was so and you know it was. It's such a humbling experience. I had my classmates were younger than my cat, Gigi. I'm not kidding. This is not a joke. Like my cat is older than my classmates. And then I went through this whole year of taking all these science classes. And I was like, how am I going to do this? But you do it. And then I applied to only one school. Don't ask me why. Which is the number one school in the nation, USC. And I was placed on the waiting list. And four days before the program started, four days four days, I got in. <laughs> so I walked in and I was like, oh my God. Um, and I was like, I don't belong here. My cat is older than my friends. These people have been in their young lives, know so much more about than me about technology. And somehow I just uh, stepped into the fire. I ended up getting in the National Honor Society. I got the Spirit of OT award, which is like the most prestigious award given at graduation. I gave the commencement speech. I won the student award in California. Like, I was like, yes, you. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. And I became the student I always knew I could be. Um, And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was so fiery and it was so intellectual and um, everything I've done since then, um, theater, rolfing, uh, yoga, obviously very intellectual, but very much about the body and kinesthetic. This was fire. This was pitta. This was like just intellect, intellect. And um, I love that. It really um, sharpened my thinking skills and just opened me up to so much and all the field works I did at hospitals, at acute care, at hand therapy clinic. Like, I feel that I have a lot of knowledge to to help family and friends, and they call me all the time with questions. And then um, I walked into school thinking I was going to do hand therapy, and that's that's what I want to do. So again, it's always been about the body, about helping people be more embodied, be in their body, heal their bodies. So next month I start working. As an OT, um, it's gonna be part-time because as, as irony will have it, I've never been busier now in my rolfing practice. <laughs> I've never been busier. I'm finally making, I mean, I, I know speaking about money is weird, it is for me, but I'm finally making a good living and, and I'm able to you know afford my beautiful- And not offering discounts. Not, I had to stop that. Oh my God, a fellow rolfer said to me, you need to stop doing that because LA is expensive. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person, but at this moment, you need to stop doing that. And I have student loans and all of that. So, yeah. (laughs) I love that.
2: Yeah. And I also, I just want to praise you for shouting out Back to School. A great 80s comedy. So good. So good. A young Robert Downey Jr. So good. So good. Yeah. And the music, the the Ongo Bungo from Danny Elfman. That's right. yeah yeah it's great I've seen that movie way too many times and oh, I've quoted too. from it
3: me so, too and Kurt Vonnegut is in it yeah
2: yeah yeah it's it's I mean it's not a great movie but it's a great 80s comedy
3: I disagree this is our first argument Andrew it
0: okay is- all right <laughs> I, I, I'm ganging up with you because it is also a great movie
2: <laughs> I mean I think of like Orson Wells as great movies but I guess different types of agree to disagree You're disagree. <laughs> Uh, but we all agree that we do love that movie, so that, that's great. And that's the first time we've had a, uh, a back-to-school reference on this <laughs> podcast. Hopefully, we'll have more. <laughs> yeah. I do want to also praise you on, on getting out of that discount mentality. I've heard – I mean, I think I think a lot of us can start in that way because uh, we, we want to work. We want to help people as well. And it's like, oh, I want to help someone, and, and they can't afford it. Uh, so, you know, I mentioned earlier we're doing all these yard sales because my parents are moving – it's so annoying when people, they just want a discount. And I get it with stuff, but once you're a body, you're not going to your doctor and being like, hey, can I get like 20% off of my, uh, my physical? I've heard some people do stuff where they say like, yeah, I'm ha- I'll happily give you 20% discount, but I'm also going to do 20% less time. You know, <laughs> and, and going No, with that.
3: It's, <laughs> it's something that I, I've never asked anyone. I mean, if I, wanna, I want you to work with me, whether you're a role for a structural integrator or a therapist, a yoga teacher. I've never done that because I just respect that. And if I can't afford it, which, by the way, happens a lot, then I don't go or then I save money so that I can go. But for some reason, it's asked a lot of me, which is interesting. So maybe I, I, I look at that part of myself, but also I felt like I had no choice, which was also interesting. And it comes from my training and, you know, family, cultural Patriarch, patriarchal uh, training of you have to submit, you have to be a good person. And I still feel like a bad person when I tell someone that I, I can't offer it at this time. I still feel like a bad person, but I'm working through that and with that. And
2: yeah, Therapy is great for that. I, I can speak for myself. So <laughs> working through it. Oh, yeah. Um, so just curiosity about like OT. I mean, I know it's a newer sort of thing, but have you or are you planning on are you looking at OT through a, a Rolfer's lens? Is that even possible? Or do you have to like stick by, like if you're doing hand OT, you know, but like your Rolfer view you knows that the hand is connected to the foot, how does that work?
3: Oh, great question. Um, so in occupational therapy, graduate school, you need to do They're called field works. They're like residencies. And we ended up doing a total of five of them in different placements. So OT is pediatrics, adult rehab, and mental health. So you do field works in those different fields and you do several of them. And I ended up doing two in hand clinics because I'm so interested in hands and anatomy and so forth. So I have um, familiarity with that and that's where I'm going to start working. And yes. The hand therapy clinics have what's called a biomechanical frame of reference, which is like you hurt your hand, which flexor is it, which diagnosis is it? It's it's kind of, it's called a top-down approach. So you go from the bottom up, you go from the, the this part uh, to the whole person. As OTs, we're always trying to do a top-down approach, which is occupation comes first. Who are you? Why are you here? What were you doing with your hands? Um, What do you like to do? And even in those clinics, I couldn't help but bring that there. And, you know, I remember this man who hurt his finger and, and I asked him, what do you wish you could do with your hand? And he said, play guitar. So then when we were doing some strengthening exercises, I would give him what's called a web it's like a circular thing that you stretch and I would have him pretend he was playing the guitar. So, you know, that's one way of using the person's occupations, which is um, a word that used to mean your activities that occupy your time. Right. So occupational therapy refers to those activities that we do every day that are meaningful to us. So I still bring that, uh, but it is very difficult because I, um, hand therapy clinics tend to be an outpatient or acute care, and they're fast paced. And you see lots of people and there's usually protocols. And it's very easy to fall into that biomechanical frame of reference where you're just seeing a part. But I think for me as a rolfer, as a yoga teacher, um, as a poet, as a writer, as just who I am, I can't help but but speak to the whole person. Um, One of the reasons I love hand therapy is that you actually get to sit with someone, you get to hold their hand, which I find incredibly intimate and ask them questions so that even if we're doing some tendon glides, you can't help but but try to make it meaningful for them. And it's just my personality. And 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 to your specific question about rolfing, there are moments when we do do um, soft tissue manipulation and that's where my my rolfing comes in. I'm really good with that. I'm really good with scar massage. Uh, I'm just great with, with touching as, as we all are. but feel very comfortable with that. A lot of OTs do not. Um, and sometimes... In that world, there's instruments that are used, and I'd rather use my hands. Um, And what was the oh, yeah, I wanted to also add there was this one patient who came to see us. um, She had carpal tunnel, and she just um, carpal tunnel one of the ways you know it's carpal tunnel um, is it's worse at night. So she wasn't sleeping well. And I asked my CI, I asked my clinical instructor if it was okay if I put her in a restorative pose at the clinic, um, because I felt like she needed some rest and, and he allowed us to do that. And that was really helpful. So I think it's, it allows you to, to play around a little bit. There's your expertise. (laughs) Yes, but it, it, it will be challenging. I'll start working, uh, professionally next month and we'll have, more to say about that, but you I mean left to my own devices? Maybe one day in the future, I'll have my own clinic, and I could put it all together and have people lay down because it's not just a hand, right? It's it's a body. It's 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 a whole person. It's a world. So yeah. Well, and I find it interesting that
0: you went to the hand. I mean, with the, our electronic world, holding the, the iPhones, you know, keyboards, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I remember hearing this a while ago, but the OTs, the hand OTs are killing it financially because it's just there's such a demand now for all this, um, just the way we we're evolving in this modern world. But um aside from that, with the Rolfing, the hands are kind of the missing part that didn't get addressed so much in the the 10 series, the classic um,
3: training. So there, there you have it. <laughs> I know. And I, um, one of my dear friends is, is a great role Bruce Schoenfeld and he and I are, uh, working on doing a, a workshop for, for rolfers about the hands. And, and maybe I could even do something for OTs about the hands and, you know, the, the hand is, uh, it's such That's a so cool that you're working with Bruce. I, yeah. I
0: know him just moment when I did my advanced training in Santa Monica and I did a session with him and I just, my little interaction with him, I, I do adore him and just think he's a great, brilliant guy.
2: Do you have a name for the workshop yet? Because I have a great name for you.
3: Oh, um, no. What, I, I was thinking our hands understand the world or something like that, but please tell.
2: Uh, I was just to say, talk to the hand.
3: okay I will write that down (laughs) but um hands are um I mean they're look um when you hold an object whatever it is before you hold the object your hand is already shaping itself into the form of the object and when I learned that I was blown away by the fact that my hands are so mutable, protean, right? They're just uh, humble, that they will take the shape of something that they haven't even grabbed yet. It's just, it's so remarkable to me how much we do with our hands. Um, I know this is a delicate topic, but if I were to not be able to walk or not be able to use my hands, I would rather not be able to walk. I mean, we do everything with our hands. We feed ourselves we take care of ourselves we wipe away our tears I was working with a spinal cord injury a man a man who suffered SCI and um he asked me to wipe away his tears and I just I, I just, yeah so hands are are everything and to to be able to work with that part of our body that is related to brain development that is related to, creating our lives it's just very exciting and they're like you said they're kind of forgotten yeah
2: yeah there's an old saying that feet you know your legs bring you to the world but your hands bring the world to you
3: oh i love that i never heard that where's that from yeah
2: i I learned at some training at some point because essentially the you know if you think appendicularly, the the legs are what move you so they move they move you to where if there's something in front of you your legs would walk you to it whereas you can use your hands to to bring the world to you so
3: thank you for I love that I I I meditate every day and I contemplate uh, deeply many things and one of the things I think about often is what is the first thing I touch when I wake up what is the last thing I touch Um, it's just there's there's such a meditation for me it's such a meditative point
2: yeah well I mean I know that I could speak to you for hours I'm so glad Nikki has has connected us you know I'm really grateful for this time
0: I just wanted to have Maria Christiana on because I think she's amazing. She's really smart. And I think, um, Thank you. yeah, I think she has a lot to offer into the SI community. And yeah. just from this conversation, and you know, you probably heard in our, because you've listened to a lot of our ep- episodes, it's not, this isn't just a rolfing um, for just rolfers, that really it's about, Sharing all different types of things that help offer embodiment, and I think um, I think so much of your your life journey has great jewels to to offer wisdom around embodiment.
2: Thank so you. I
0: feel very grateful that you took time to talk to us, and we got to learn more about your story.
3: Thank you, Nikki, I, for for seeing me and, and for thinking that about me. And um, thank you, Andrew, for creating this space and and to the listeners. I, I know I'm someone who listens deeply to podcasts. So whoever you are, whatever year you're listening this to, uh, when it comes out, I support you and salute you in your journey as well.
2: So. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll echo like, thanks, Nikki. This is, a, a, you know, what happens a lot is one of us will be like, oh, we should talk to this person. And like you know, Nikki will sometimes bring people, and I'm like, I don't know this person. I don't want to talk to them. Love, I have other things going on. Okay, tell me. And then of course I'm like, ooh, okay, keep talking. Oh, that's so fascinating. I love that. Great.
0: Yeah, Andrew, you're not the only one with good ideas.
2: No, no. But I'm a man, so I think that. Oh,
3: thank you guys. This was my first podcast. I. Was a little nervous. I'm so happy I did this, and I could keep talking
2: to you guys. So thank you. Well, maybe maybe another time, but also, um, maybe this will be the start of others. I mean, that's one of the things is like we're not selfish people. We 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 want to sh- like share with others. So if people <laughs> hear you and they invite you on or they share that, that's that's what it's all about is just making the world a better place.
0: Yeah. Um. How about you let us know your newsletter that you're doing because those are, those are fun reads.
3: Yeah. Thank you. I, um, so I usually post it on Instagram. Um, it's at MC Yogi Rolfer, um, at MC Yogi Rolfer and I post maybe like every other week I'll write something and and then you can sign up if you want. Um, yeah. And I'm reworking my website, Maria Cristina Rolfer. Um, yeah
2: that's I, I just got I'm so slow I was like and when I saw your Instagram MC MC Rolfer Yogi I was like what she's like a rapper is what's going on oh, I but just if realized you're if you're, I just put that together I'm yeah. slow sometimes
3: oh no not at all uh, there's a lot of information coming Um, MC Yogi Rolfer yeah
2: yeah yeah not like MC Yogi you know MC Yogi
3: no because there is an MC Yogi right? yeah
2: yeah that's that's what a little bit I was, I was going with that. That's how my mind just went there. But if you want to rap, if you want to bust some rhymes, we're cool with that too.
3: Okay. I mean, I will start spitting soon.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, thank you so much. Thanks for making time and, and for, for being you. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to connecting more with you in, in the future in various ways.
3: Yeah, me too. Thank you, guys. Yeah,
2: thank have you.
3: Have an awesome day. Okay. Bye. Bye. bye.
1: Ciao. Bye. Thanks for listening to us at Touching into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Maria Cristina at com and on Instagram at MCYogiRofer. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching the Presence. Bye-bye.